If you are an HR professional, business owner, or at the operations level trying to understand what people want, you may be struggling. Our systems have been shocked, practices have been questioned, and culture is the leading conversation. Let's learn how culture is created, sustained, and why it should be the leading conversation when discussing hiring, training, and retention. This is the foundation of any business, and it's time to address it. So tune in to Let's Talk HR, humanizing the conversation. We tackle topics that influencers of change need to understand and struggle to overcome every day, such as where to start and what the new workforce wants and how to attract and keep positive momentum going. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. This episode is sponsored by Practice Law, the law firm that puts professionalism in legal representation. Their attorneys have 49 years of experience behind their work. If you have questions or concerns, they are the attorneys you can trust. With expertise in litigation, real estate, criminal defense, family and divorce, business and real estate planning, you can count on them. Practice moves legal services forward. You can contact Practice at 414-988-9596 or 262-269-9140. Or you can inquire on their website, www.practicelaw.com. That's www.p-r-a-k-t-e-s-s-l-a-w.com. This is going to be a great conversation today. Dr. Amy Beacom is the founder and CEO of the Center for Parental Leave Leadership, the first full-service consultancy in the U.S. to focus exclusively on parental leave. She conceived of and began developing the field of parental leave coaching and consulting in 2006, drawing on her over 25 years in executive leadership development and coaching. Amy consults with Fortune 100 companies, international organizations, working parents, and more to transform the way companies and our country engages with the parental leave transition. Amy is also the co-author of the Parental Leave Playbook, 10 Touchpoints to Transition Smoothly, Strengthen Your Family, and Continue Building Your Career. We will also be joined by Sue Campbell. She is a writer, author, and coach who has worked with the Center of Parental Leave Leadership since its early days, helping communicate the transformative impact of their core mission. Her writing often focuses on issues important to parents. She has been published in many outlets, including Prevention, Good Housekeeping, Scary Mom, and Mama Lobe. Sue and Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, both of you are such uh, amazing women with, you know, the your your topics and, and your book that you recently, um, well, not recently, but with your book that you wrote. Um, so why don't we jump right in? Um, Sue, why don't you start out by introducing yourself? Uh, sure. Thanks so much for having us. Um, I'm Sue Campbell, and I'm a writer and a coach, uh, and I've worked with the Center for Parental Leave Leadership, where Amy is the founder and CEO for about eight or nine years now, um, and really fell into this work because Amy offered something really unique 
which was that we have a broken system. This is not a parent's job to fix when it comes to parental leave. And we can fix this in large part through employers while we're waiting for the country to get its act together. So after my first parental leave experience, I was all on board to help with that in any way I could. Excellent. And Amy, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, sure. Thank you for having us here. Uh, my name is Dr. Amy Beacom. I am the founder and CEO of the Center for Parental Leave Leadership. We are the only full-service consultancy in the country to focus exclusively on parental leave, and we do everything from policy work to what our true love is, coaching, coach certification around parental leave, and manager training, the practice side of it. That's awesome. Um, it's such a unique topic um, because, you know, and it's so strange because I just recently heard um, somebody say to me, well, how, and it wasn't presented necessarily this way, but she's, somebody said to me, well, they're having a baby and oh my gosh, they're taking their full three months of leave. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I said, I mean, isn't that, isn't that like kind of part of what you get to do? And well, yeah, but how does that impact everybody else? I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's, you know, part of what you get to do when you have a child, you know, that's part of, so it's, it's such a great time for me to actually have, cause that's such a fresh thing in my so head, fresh. That, right. That mm -hmm. a conversation I just recently had and what a topic to discuss because one of the most impactful moments, and, and I remember my dad always telling me there are, there are only a couple of things in life that, that literally can stop anybody in their track and that everything else should wash away. Death, life. And I can't remember the other one, but the birth of a, <laughs> I mean, those are the two really huge ones, right? Those are I the mean, two big ones. Yeah. Right. If somebody passes away, obviously you, you need to, you need to stop and, and remember that person. But the other thing is life. That should be the number one most important thing that anybody celebrates having a child. And it shouldn't just be about the woman having a child. It should be about the dad also having a child. You're never going to get to experience that again, right? So what, yeah. if, I mean, you, you can't just have a baby and run back to work. You, you need to be able to experience something you're never, ever going to experience again, ever with that, that child, right? Here, here, Leanne, you know, we are on board with that message. Right. <laughs> um, and I think the important thing to for your audience to really understand is that is while that transition, that massive personal and professional transition is happening to that individual who's becoming a parent, to your point earlier with that, that story of that conversation you had, it is also happening to those around them. Mm -hmm. And so what we do in a lot of our work is we help hold space and make a process um, that is clear and supportive for that new parent that also considers those around them. Um, so I don't, I just don't want your listeners to think that those are mutually exclusive because a lot of what we are trying to shift people's thinking around is these can be mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
And that's not something that I thought that definitely, I mean, again, I'm not the expert. You, you're, you guys are the experts, right? You know, I'm thinking. <laughs> so you, the, you guys collaborated on writing a book about parental leave, obviously. So tell me a little bit, you know, tell me a little bit about this. Obviously don't, you know, no spoilers, you know, you, everybody needs to go out and buy the book, but you know, tell me a little <laughs> bit and, and tell me the story. How did you, and you're both parents. So Tell me the story of, of where this originated and why you became so passionate about this. Sure. I guess, Sue, Sorry. I should take that one. <laughs> um, this is Amy. Uh, it started with me becoming a parent almost 16 years ago. And like many people who get into any kind of parent support or birth support work, they have a, a an experience themselves. And for me, it was a very... Um, I'll try and give you the short version. I was um, living in New York. I was getting my doctorate in organizational psychology at Columbia, focused on executive education and coaching, uh, specifically women's leadership advancement and how to create more space for women in leadership roles within companies. And so um, I'd been doing that work for a long time. I'd been in that field before going back to school, and I was consulting to some of the you know, biggest companies in this country around work-life balance issues, women's leadership issues, and I was very excited to become a mom and thought I would, I knew it, right? Thought I could pull it off, thought, oh, I'm an expert in this area, I'm going to be fine. And then I had my child and was knocked off my feet by the experience. And um, for your listeners, this was 15 and a half plus years ago, right? So it was a very different environment. And there was no awareness around this time being a transition, being an important thing that was happening, being something that could be valuable in its leadership lessons to bring back into work. None of that was um, at all part of the conversation. It was you women only had children. They went away, had them, they talk about it, they came back and that was it, right? They fit back right in. They weren't changed. That was it. And so when I had my child, I had a very different experience. <laughs> I was like, nope, that's, that's not really going to fly. And more importantly, we are completely missing one of the most important moments in a woman's career life cycle. And if we can support that well, and back then I was only thinking about women because I was, that's, that was my focus. I've since expanded that to, to all genders, but, um, if we can really support that time well, both at home and at work, that will transform our work cultures, that will allow for more of the things that I was working towards, more equity in, in our organizations, um, better cultures, more family-friendly cultures, uh, just more humane places to work that were also hugely effective because as we know, mothers are hugely effective. So um, that's what started it. I changed the focus of my doctoral research and began to create a field, which at the time I was calling parental leave, or maternity coaching and consulting, and now is parental leave coaching and consulting. And I have been fighting for that 
to happen ever since. And that's taken lots of forms. CPLL is one, the book is another, um, our coach certification program is another. We've just started this year to train uh, coaches external to our organization. So some of those are internal HR within organizations, leave navigators within organizations. Some of those are doulas, therapists who work with new parents already, but want to expand their knowledge. Um, and then a lot of them are coaches who are expanding into the parental leave support timeframe. So that was a long answer. Sue, <laughs> add to that. Or... Yeah, I'll just add a little bit about the book itself. Um, the book itself, we wanted it to be like having a parental leave coach in your hand because we know that very few people are getting parental leave coaching. So we wanted to really distill the, the essentials of our work with clients when we coach them and be able to put that in the palm of any new parent's hand. So it leads you through these 10 touch points that can have this outsized impact on the success of your transition. Uh, and it's broken into three phases, right? People think of parental leave as just the time that someone is physically out of the office. And that is not the case. As Amy referred to, it's a transition. There is before you go on leave, when you're preparing um, to step out the door and hand off your work. There's during leave when you're bonding with your new child and your family. And then there's returning from leave where you're trying to incorporate your previous worker identity with your new parent identity into a working parent identity. So this transition can take a year or longer. And it's really important to recognize what is broken in the system and what you have control over so that you know the avenues where you have a chance to improve and you can lead your own leave because a lot of organizations, there's still a vacuum and they're sort of recreating the wheel with every new leave. But we also recommend the book, right, for, new, for anybody in an organization who's in HR, who wants to understand what a good transition can look like, right? When actually the publisher wanted it to be just for parents, but we wanted to do the, you know, when you were a kid and you had a book and on one side, it was one book and then you like flipped it over and it was another one. So we wanted to do one side is for the new parent and then you flip it over and it's for the manager right? Because managers can absolutely make or break the parental leave experience. And when we go into an organization, we're not just coaching that new parent, we're also coaching the manager so they can understand how to get the benefits out of the transition, how to use it to grow your team, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really important to create that common language. And that's what this book can do. You know, and this, this, it, it's really interesting. There's a common thread in what I'm hearing, um, what I'm hearing here, because um, in, and bear with me here for a second. Um, so manufacturing back in the day, and this is still a struggle, still struggle, um, manufacturing floor, there was this brilliant CNC operator who knew how to run his machine and all of his notes were in a little black book that he kept in his locker and he didn't tell anybody, you know, how to run this machine because it was, well, if anybody else knows, I could be expendable kind of thing. Well, nowadays, you know, we want to spread the knowledge. We want to cross-train everybody. I mean, it's it's kind of runs on the same premise, right? Um, you know, hey, you have somebody who's going to be going on leave. This opens the door for more cross-training, more understanding of why it's important to cross-train. So, I mean, it, this is not a new concept, but... right. It's just a concept based on now you have somebody who's in a transition in their life where 
you know, you have to be some, maybe sometimes a little bit more sensitive. Um, I remember when I was pregnant, my boss once sat me down and he goes, you know, I don't want to be rude. He goes, but am I talking to Leanne or am I talking to pregnant Leanne? He goes, you seem a little sensitive. <laughs> and I went, wow. Wow. Is, I don't know oh. how to take that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, we might do a little coaching around that. Right. Well, and, and I, and I know I have, sometimes I can be, I can be a little bit of an explosive personality when I get my, you know, my like determined mind on. And I know that when I was pregnant, I was like hyper, like explosive in certain, certain. so it, I, he and I had a really, really strong, solid relationship where he could say that to me. I wasn't offended by yep. it. Now I know that out there, there are women who are going, I would have sued him. No, no, we didn't. It was, we had that relationship, but I mean, sorry, going back, where was I? <laughs> Just that it is, it's not a new concept, right? It's a, it, what we're doing and in much of our work, as you're picking up on is we're just saying, this is a really good time to learn all this stuff. This is an experiential learning opportunity that is free. It's already happening in your organization. <laughs> Seize it, right? If right. that is cross-training, if that is um, learning how to create some more family supportive supervisory behaviors, mm -hmm. how to have better communication to your story, how to understand where that line is and where your trust levels are so you don't cross it. Um, you know, all of those things come up during this time. They're ripe. And we, we want people to walk into that instead of walk, not only walk away from it, but like lock it up in a black box and put it up on a shelf of something that can't be touched or talked about because you might spur a gender discrimination lawsuit or, you know, to your point, I want, you know, let's sue him. It's all very, you know, it's all very right. Live time. <laughs> Yeah, it's very interesting. It, I mean, wow, very interesting. And so this kind of leads me into my next, you know, my next question. So why do you think so many people still fear taking time off for the full length of time? I mean, we, we are now talking about, you know, how this transition, people are becoming more open to this, but there is still this fear around, oh, if I take off my full three months, a job may not be there, but we, we as a society are, are looking at this even more as, you know, yeah, you, you, you can take time to bond, but yet I still, but talk we're, we're sending two messages. So sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I just, that's such an important point you're saying we're, um, people are fearful of taking time off because there's the overt message that they're being told you get three months. And then there's the subtle penalizing that they experience or they see around them for those who do take that time away. So they're, they're still navigating a climate in which and culture in which we haven't shifted. <clears throat> We're in the process of it. Some organizations have done it beautifully, but the larger messaging and the, the, subtle messaging and not so subtle sometimes, right, um, is you will be penalized if you take that time. You're right. And that I guess goes back to how I started this when I had a con when I had that conversation of 
oh, you know, I can't believe she's taking this time off. How is this going to affect me? And I find it interesting. There are other countries out there that give, hey, go and take a full year off. Yet, how is it that here in the U.S., we are so far behind in something like this, yet other countries are so far advanced? Well, so... In part, that is a misconception. There's two, and the, the way to think about it is between, if you separate policy and practice. So many, many countries, all countries except for the US and, and four or five small little nation states offer paid leave. So paid leave is a policy. That means you're getting your pay for when you're away um, from work. And some, as you mentioned, go up to a year, some, we, we have nothing in the US. So that's a horrible, it needs to change, right? It, it, it should have changed. It was um, part of the Build Back Better Act this last year that w- was not passed. We would have had paid leave as a national policy for the first time ever. So for your listeners who aren't aware, FMLA is, and I'm sure they are because they're HR <laughs> wonks, but, um, you know, FMLA is unpaid job protection is not paid leave. A lot of employees think that FMLA also means they get their pay. So there's always a a wake up call around pay, but policy and pay are one thing. Practice is another. So in most of those other countries, they also have issues around practice and culture and how do we do this? So we, I just caution because we, we think, oh, well, so-and-so does this so beautifully, and it's not necessarily true. We started our work um, after I created the parental leave coaching program. The, the, it's an evidence-based program that I created um, as part of my doctoral work at Columbia, and that is our country wasn't ready for it yet. So we ended up piloting all of that work in Australia, which has a much longer paid leave policy. And um, what we found was the US actually was much further ahead in some of the cultural pieces, in some of the support advancement um, organizational pieces. And Sue, feel free to pop in if you have any examples of that because my mind is blanking at the moment, but that was just a really eye-opening time for us where we had gone into it thinking, oh, because they have paid leave, they must be doing everything right. And they were actually looking to us and saying, oh, wow, look at how you guys have um, milk stork, breast milk can ship with you. You know, now there's nannies who can fly with new parents who travel. And of course, these are only in the organizations that are doing it really well, um, some of the enterprise level companies. But um, I just want your listeners to separate out those two. There's policy and a strong policy is critical to support a strong practice, but they, you, there are things you can do in the practice level if your policy hasn't caught up. Interesting. So if I'm understanding this correct, Policy versus practice, we are, which one are we ahead on? We're, we're, behind, <laughs> we're behind on policy. We we're, don't okay. have a paid leave policy. Right, okay. But there are some elements of practice where we're a little bit ahead. 
right? We get okay. more creative. We've had to be more creative with practice because we don't have the policy. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, and you mentioned something in there that, that triggered me when it comes to, and, and I'm sure that you come up against this regularly because when, when a woman is transitioning back into the workforce, and this has been something that, and I remember the first time I ever saw this and I was like, Oh, what is this room that has a, a chair in it and, you know, a nice lighting that I'm not allowed to go in because I'm 20 and I don't have a child. Um, so is this something that you talk to companies about for women who are transitioning back in an actual room where they can go and pump? Absolutely. And yeah. In many places, it, you legally need to provide that. Legally need so. to provide it. Something that's other than the, a dirty bathroom, I'm assuming. Yes. yes. <laughs> and and for, for your listeners, I you know just to put a name on it, back in the 90s when I was talking about these issues, they were called lactation stations. <laughs> they were the rooms, the rooms where the, you know, the breastfeeding person would go and pump pump their milk. Um, so now there's much more, you know, there's many nicer names, um, but with some, my, of them, some of them get really funny. With Sorry. my first parental leave, when I came back to work, um, I asked for a place to pump. So they gave me a um, conference room uh, with a broken lock on the door. Um, and just, a, there was just a table right um and then after i was all done breastfeeding um shortly after that that room got a major spruce up it got a water source it got like a little locker it got a fridge it got like it just got the treatment <laughs> and i walked in there and i'm like all right i'm not going to be jealous i'm just going to be happy that they move forward <laughs> yep so to, to answer your question, that is something we do talk to organizations about because we're what we're trying to do is help them understand how to support this time frame for that new parent to feel genuinely supported and that they matter to their organization. So parts of that include how are they going to return in a way that allows them to show up at work. That means if they are a nursing mom and they need to pump while they're at work, they need to do that regularly or they will start leaking milk all over the office, right? Like, so you can't, you need to make that possible. That means considering how long meetings go, building in breaks. If you have a nursing mom on your team, you know, that there's just some basics that most people don't consider because they're not in that position. But for that new parent, it's their entire world. And if something goes wrong in those three months on their return, three to six months as they're shifting back and trying to navigate both this entirely new way of being in, in their work person, if that's supported well, you have a loyal, dedicated employee who will help you with all future parent, you know, there's, there's so much to be gained from it. Um, for very, very little give, just basic consideration. <laughs> right. And this is, this is all extremely fascinating because one, I, I, when I had my child, I, one, I didn't have to, I, I failed as a, as a breastfeeding mother. I, I lasted a month 
and then um it all it went it, it's it, not a failure no <laughs> it just it i i got what is it called um mastitis yes and i went yep no i'm i'm throwing in the i'm throwing mm-hmm. in the flag Yep. Well, because mastitis is a horrible, horrible, incredibly infection and derailing and without support in our culture to do these things that happens to most moms. Yep. So I threw I threw in my my white flag and I said uh, one month is um, I I feel is a success and I was happy with that. And so I I had no feelings of I I failed. I actually felt like one month was a great achievement for me. (laughs) And in our culture, it is. Yes, it's fantastic. So by the time I went back to work, I didn't I didn't need to. and, And I did take my full three months and I had no guilt over it. I had a I had a good employer who was like, yep, take your time. And then I was one of the lucky ones that never had to do the daycare. I never had to do, but I, if I would have had to do daycare, I, I mean, I, I can understand how parents are, are just so nervous and nerve wracked about, I'm dropping my child off with a stranger and then I'm going to go to a job and can't check in or I'm not able to, you know, I, I just, I completely get yeah. it. I completely and totally understand. I was one of the lucky ones that didn't have to do that. I had family members who, but I, I forgot my point. I got stuck on the word mastitis and couldn't remember. <laughs> um, however, I also now work in an environment where my daughter regularly shows up at my office and, and hangs around and everybody comes running out and I want to play with her. I want to play with Skylar. I'm like, Oh my God, this is insane. We have Netflix on our TV so that if the kids do show up, they can, they can sit and watch. So we have an extremely kid friendly environment at my office. So I've, I'm just not used to having conversations about wait, wait, what do you mean you don't talk about your kids? What do you mean you don't, Mm -hmm. that it's not acceptable? Um, Because my employer is just one of those employers that let me premise this. My boss has four children. <laughs> so I guess he gets it. You know, he, he gets it. Yeah. So to have a company and he also hired our office manager while she was pregnant, knowing that shortly after she, you know, came on, she was going to be taking maternity leave. And think about the message that sends to your, all the employees in your organization, right? Just that choice to hire someone, he paid, or not he, but your organization paid for that leave. I'm assuming you're in a state that doesn't have paid leave. Um, Wisconsin doesn't. Um, that message, you could not pay a communications team that amount of money that that salary equated to, to send the message to your employees that they matter and that it, they matter throughout their life events. Like you can't pay enough for that message. Um, Anyway, that's, I, I, I just wish more managers would understand that. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, and again, I know that there's, you know, out there, you can't discriminate. Oh, you find out somebody's pregnant, so you choose not to hire. That's discrimination. But come on. I, I, I mm-hmm. live and breathe in the hiring and firing industry. I'm, I'm in the staffing industry. You can find any reason from here until, you know, to not right. hire somebody. It doesn't have to be that. The point being is that 
I have been lucky to always see the really good side to hear some of the, the, the negative side of how some of these people, men and women alike are discriminated against because of family, because of kids. It's most of these people, right? It is the majority in this country still. Yeah. Um, and, and the ones that are doing it well are the outliers and they need to be more vocal about more visible about how they're doing it because other companies they don't think it's possible and then we you know we're like yes it is and not just possible it is the best ROI you're gonna have (laughs) right right and and obviously I you know I talk nonstop about creating a great culture at a company and this is a hundred percent all about creating that great culture. Now, I want to shift this a little bit. It started out as maternity leave, which is 100% focused on women. When when did it become parental leave? And have you seen men finally standing up saying, hey, why can't I take the time that just because my body didn't go through it, why don't I get the opportunity to bond with my child? I'll just say real quickly, it started as maternity leave because that's where my focus and attention was. As soon as I started to dig into what actually matters and what is going to make this better for the women in this country, um, it, it shifted to include dads. Um, and so what we now know and what research has shown is until we have equal leaves, for dads and moms, moms will continue to be penalized for taking leave. And so when the, when the floor expectation is no matter who becomes a parent or how, they all take a minimum of three months of leave, that then becomes the standard, nobody's penalized. It's just the way that we do things. If it's inequitable across gender or type of family, way you become a family, um, job role, length of employment at a company, you know, all of those pieces, if, if that is not equal, there will be inequities. Um, Sue, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that's just a great point. It's not even just moms and dads. It's also any type of family formation, gay couples, gender nonconforming folks, right? As we look at that DEI lens, we really need to apply that to the parental leave timeframe too. And we've seen so many um, businesses come to us for policy help and they have good intentions. They just haven't thought enough big picture about it. So they would have, you know, birthing parent gets this much, non-birthing parent gets this much. Well, what if you have two non-birthing parents because they've adopted a child? Do they not get as much bonding leave with their child? Like this just doesn't make sense and it needs to be equitable for any type of family, any type of family formation, because it is good for the parent. It's good for the child. It's good for the organization. If someone's mind is off with their kid because they had to come back to work way too early, that they're not providing as much value for your company as they could be, right? We just need to really, really widen the lens on this issue and think in terms of what do we want our long-term outcome to be. And that's always to retain good employees. 
And the retain way you retain good employees is by letting them know that they're supported and valued and they can get their personal needs met as well as their professional needs. I've never thought of it that way. And I do hear regularly that the birthing parents gets X amount and the non-birthing parent gets that. But you don't, and, and perfect example, grandparents and, and grandparents don't necessarily have to be of non-working age. Grandparents end up with said, you know, child for whatever reason it might be. If that becomes a new family dynamic, you would think that, you know, hey, it, it takes some time for that child to possibly become, you know, transition into a new, this becomes a new family. I mean, so how would that yeah. take, you know, con, you know, fall into that? And there's yeah. so many different ways that families can be formed. And, and we encourage a the broadest definitions possible. We're, we're the center for parental leave leadership, but what we're doing is family leave. So if that's kinship leave, if that's caregiving leave, you know, that is where we would want organizations to get to. Um, we just focus in on the parental leave timeframe because it's the most common. It's the most understood. 80% of employees at some point become parents. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And it sets the organization up so well, right? Amy was saying, this is an experiential learning opportunity that your company can, you know, use to its full advantage or can shoot itself in the foot. Right. And so you, if you know what to do for parental leave, you know what to do when someone has to go out on a family leave or someone has to go um, care for an aging parent, right? All of the same tools and concepts of our 10 touch points that we cover in the book apply to any type of leave. That completely makes sense. Again, families form in so many different ways. And you shouldn't penalize one family because of the way that that family formed. Exactly. Just because you are the, the one that birthed that child, whether that be a month, three months, it's still about bonding. It's not necessarily about the recovery because the recovery comes with, and again, I, what I think that when I had my child and I keep going back to, cause we all pull from my own, our yeah. own experience yeah. within a week, my husband was back at work cause that was his, co yeah. his company policy. He had to take vacation. It was yeah. his vacation in order for him to stay home. He was back at work within a week. So regardless of the fact that I had a C-section, I still had to be on my feet by myself, yeah. incapable of taking care of that child by myself. So, yeah. oh my gosh, it's just too common. I, and, and I, I just have to let out some outrage around that <laughs> because you say it in, as everyone does in this country, as if that's normal. And it is not normal. That is a massive abdominal surgery you're recovering from, mm -hmm. a tiny human that you are fully responsible for, and you're have you're supposed to be doing it all at once. Like it's it's outrageous that that is the way we are set up in our country. Um, and I think when you said a second ago, we all pull from our own experience. We also normalize our own experiences, and so. I just would encourage your listeners to just step out of that for a second in two ways. One, to just notice, is that the way it should be? There is a moral piece to this. You know, there is a, an element of that. Um, but also, 
there's very few things in our life where both can be true. You, it can be a good thing to do, a human thing to do, and a wise business thing to do. This is one of those places. Um, and then when we all pull from our own experience, recognize that either if you're a person going through leave yourself, or you are somebody who's managing it or interacting with it, those are you're just trying to put yourself into the other people's shoes for a little while. Ask them about it. How is this going for you? If, are there things we could do to help make this easier? What can we do to help improve this experience for you? You are not supposed to know what that other person's going through without training, conversation, communication, and understanding. And I, I so often we talk with managers or new parents who are like, well, they're doing their thing. I don't want to interrupt. Or if I say something, I'm going to say the wrong thing and hurt their feelings or, you know, those kinds of pieces. And a lot of our work is pure communication skills. <laughs> like how, um, anyway, I'm just going on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, I love tangents. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, but it we just all do pull from our own experiences. You're right. And and whether that's right or wrong, and and I totally agree that because I remember my husband saying, you know, two days before he had to go back to work, he says, you're going to have to stop taking your pain medication before I go back because, you know, you 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 fall asleep like right after you take it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, how am I going to how am I going to stand up? you know, and walk around without taking this medication. But that is the reality for yeah. so many, for so many people. And remember, my daughter's only four. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many of my listeners, I, you know, I, I mentioned my daughter occasionally because she's insane. She's four, you know, four-year-olds are. <laughs> um, but that is, that is, you know, the reality is that, you know, for so many people. You and I, I don't want to make any assumptions about your relationship, but I will say broadly, when we set it up that a dad is going back to work one week after his wife gives birth, that sets up home dynamics where that mom is the primary caregiver, to use that term, um, but usually the sole caregiver with some dad helping in quotes or dad's babysitting in quotes. And that is not a sustainable way to set up a two-parent partnership where both parents are working. It doesn't, it, it's just not. So just from a purely practical standpoint, we need to give equal lengths of leave so that both parents are equally set up to be equal caregivers at home, equal employees at work, and it's just the way we do things. Right. Yep. And, and, now he only works, he works three days a week. I shouldn't say only. He works three 12 hours. So he's home with her by himself Thursdays and Fridays, which you can see the stress on his face when I walk in. So, you know, he is yeah. definitely, definitely a, you know, full-time dad, full-time work, full-time everything. Um, same with me. You know, you're right. It definitely sets that precedence early on as mom is going to be the, you know, full-time worker. It's going to be, you know, the, the sole caregiver. It, it's so I think that what you guys do is is absolutely amazing. And we, <laughs> Thank yeah, I mean, it, we need we need to have a change. We need to have a shift. We need to 
make sure that companies understand what's important. And we have seen this so much over the last couple of years that people are starting to finally stand up for what they want. And they're telling companies that, hey, I mean, I remember going into an interview and saying, look, I want to work here, but I need you to know right up front that the most important thing to me is my family. I come to work so that I can I can live to be with my family. I don't I don't live to to work. I mean, that is that is the way that I look at it. Now, do I love what I do? Absolutely. I love my job. I love my professional life. But there is definitely a point in which I will shut down my computer and say, now it's family time. And I think the world Mm -hmm. needs to look at it that way. And companies who are figuring that out, where the importance is, and if they allow them to have those moments and, and help them have that time with their family and be successful as parents, they will do and work harder at those companies. Absolutely. So um, there's there's nothing to lose. There is literally nothing to lose by supporting your working parents well. There is everything to gain. Um, and it's just that really short-sighted thinking because we've been thinking a certain way. This is the way things have been done for a very long time, right? Um, that's part of our message of getting the book out and doing, I don't know, we've done like a, over a hundred podcasts since the book came out last September, because we want to get the word out of like, there is a way to do this that you can step into. We already figured so much of this out and you can benefit it with a very low cost, um, and a very high ROI. You can retain employees. You can make them more effective. You can make them happier. And in the process, you can make us a stronger society because we'll have stronger families. Yeah. So we are coming. Oh. I was just going to say on, on Sue's point, the book also has a whole host of resources that we use in our work that we've offered up for free with, within it. There's a link in it that it action planning templates templates for leave planning, reflection workbooks, manager checklists. There's whole, so many resources in there because our goal is to change the way our society does this. And you were saying a second ago, Leanne, that we need to change it. We are in the midst of it as a country. And I think that uh, the, the only people slow to catch on are the corporations, right? It's the, the people already are there that are having children right now. Yeah. The, the yeah. ones who are older, who maybe had my age children, <laughs> um, they don't really understand that the expectation has shifted. This isn't about an organization allowing their employee to have leave. This is an expectation. That's a floor. They expect it. Yeah. It is about how they support around it. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to underscore that. Well, excellent. We are coming to time. So I'm going to ask both of you to um, answer the the question of the season. And just so you guys know, I will be putting your contact information in the show notes so that people, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to get a copy of your book, I will put a link to where they can do that. Um, So, um, you know, if anybody's interested in reaching out, they can also find you. I know that you have a Facebook page. Um, If you want to, you know, give a shout out to where they can reach out to you, please do so. But before we do that question of the season, 
Um, Sue, why don't you go first? Um, if you could go back to your younger self and give yourself advice, when would you go back and what advice would you give yourself? I think I would go back to when I was pregnant with my first child. Um, and I would just say, girl, you have so many more choices than you think you have right now. <laughs> right? Like everything feels very binary. And especially when we're going through something for the first time, we're waiting for someone to tell us what we can have and what we can do. Right. And like how this all works. And in this country right now, because there is a bit of a vacuum around this, you have a lot more power and choice than you think you have. And you can use it in a way that it's going to benefit everyone. Excellent. And what about you, Amy? Oh, that question is making me emotional. Um, yeah, I was thinking what Sue said, right? That, that going back and really saying, think outside the box, lady, because this world that you've created where it's right here in this little square walls, isn't it? There's so much more. But um, I think instead I would go back to me when I had my son 15 and a half years ago and tell myself this too shall pass. <laughs> um, that, that what you are going through, little young Amy, um, with postpartum depression and horrible breastfeeding issues and not understanding that your career can survive this will turn into something that will help change countless people's lives in this country and that every tear and heartache that you persevere through will be worth it. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to thank you both um, for you know taking the time to talk with me. It has been such an amazing um, opportunity to talk to two brilliant women um, you know, about such an important topic. So thank you both so much for your time. Um, of course. Yeah. I, I have one, can I say one last thing? Absolutely. <laughs> Classic Amy. <laughs> yeah, just one more. Um, well, what I said to my young self reminded me perinatal mental health is such a huge part of this time frame and what we do. And one of our partner organizations is Postpartum Support International. So if anyone is listening here who is either within an organization or experiencing that themselves, please reach out that um, we can put you in touch. They can put you in touch. One of the things we do in our coaching work is we do a, the first perinatal mental health screen to be used in a workplace setting. So we're bringing that conversation and normalizing mental health within workplaces. Um, and I just think that is an incredibly important thing for your listeners to understand. And, um, and then in terms of your question earlier about where to follow, we're on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, but the best thing to do is to sign up for the email list because that way you'll get all of the latest stuff um, whereas a social you're going to miss it because you know they're going to screen it and you're not going to see it so <laughs> exactly. sign up for the email list if you want the goods and there's free cpl yeah cplleadership.com and you'll get a prompt to join the email list Perfect. And I will, like I said, I put that in the show notes so that um, it is easily uh, found. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.